Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Hey, welcome to this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. I'm Allison Kay, and we are heading over to London and going to get really great information about entrepreneurship and, and innovation and really about pathways to success and opportunities. And so this episode is absolutely for our company founders and entrepreneurs who listen, but it's also for our corporate business executives, our business builders, and other people to, to talk about just the business landscape that we have going on right now. And so our guest um, today is uh, Chris Locke. He is the CEO of Innovation and Corporate Transformation at Rainmaking. But his personal career, um, he has so many stops that just demonstrate his passion for people in business and entrepreneurs, um, including uh, work that he did with an organization called Startup Republic. And so he's going to touch on just such wonderful things. So Chris, welcome to the show. Hi, Alison. Thank you so much for having me. A pleasure to be here. Uh, so Chris, tell us about your role at Rainmaking and some of what you do with that business line. Yeah, absolutely. So Rainmaking uh, was set up in 2007 and really was designed to help a group of serial entrepreneurs come together and help build new ventures and sharing the risk and reward. And we've been doing that for the last 13 years. But my, my role in that is, is actually more working as we've gone through that journey of working with startups, we're now working more and more with large organizations and helping them understand how they need to evolve their business and, and, to, and to drive new business models to be relevant for the future. So my job is really to sit with those large companies and help them understand how do they bring in that entrepreneurial spirit and mindset, but also process to help them create new products and services, but more importantly, business models that help them uh, be relevant for the future. And I think it's so important because the current environment we, we are in, business models have just been shaken to the core ev everywhere. Uh yes. It's, 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 um, again, it's interesting, isn't it? It's it, people always think that, uh, you know, recessions and, and impacts like with the economic impact we've seen over the last few months um, are, are actually really bad for business. But what it does, it fundamentally shifts customer needs, which opens up new opportunities, um, which is why it's super exciting that people thinking around building startups now, because you know, if we move from thinking around how we used to just do a doctor's appointment, uh, we, we work with a, a, group, a health group actually in, in the US who said that in February they had zero telehealth assessments in june alone they delivered nearly fourteen thousand telehealth assessments wow that change in in just a matter of months is rapid so it offers it puts huge pressure on those organizations who rely on those old ways and find it struggle to change so there are opportunities that emerge then for these new startups to come in and actually help provide those solutions well chris and i like the way that you phrase it and i know i know for some of our listeners it sounds so fundamental but i know for other CEOs and people in business in my network, it's not, you know, too often we think about, you know, well, I sell this widget and now where am I going to sell my widgets versus 
really thinking about it in terms of that shift in the customer need and how do you how are you agile enough to respond to it absolutely i think this is um so it's interesting one of the things that uh, rainmaking built one of the ventures to be built back in 2010 was a company called startup bootcamp which is one of the world's largest accelerators but interesting the reason it was built was because uh, there was the survival rate of early stage startups was um only one in 10 actually got through to the second year of survival. And so it's really built to see what, what support would we have wanted had we was, when we were starting. And that's what was created. And what's been interesting is, is through that is when you start talking to early stage founders is what they're so focused on typically is the solution. And actually what we need to start with is that customer need to be really super focused on what customer pain point am I solving? And, and kind of, is it big enough for it to be, both passionate for me, but also commercially viable. You know, Chris, whenever I whenever I have these types of conversations, I've got, and I don't know if you know um, Gordon Treadgold, who's a leadership expert. He's written Fast and other books. And I, I, I just always hear in the back of my head, Gordon going, the reason business fails is because they sell products no one wants. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's, it's, it's all right. It's, it's like the number, number three reason out of top 10, but the number one reason is, they run out of money. As I said, number second, the first one is run out of money because they run out of money because they can't find enough customers to sell the product to. So, <laughs> in a, and there's this fundamental um, kind of shift that if we can help those wanting to look at these new opportunities, but also it's not just it's not just prevalent for startups. But when you look at large companies around new products and new service launches, again, the majority of them still fail because they build it in an echo chamber and then try and launch it. And go well you know it, it doesn't matter whether you are just starting out as a two-man band in a garage or whether you're a part of a twenty thousand strong enterprise-wide organization there's sometimes the fundamentals they get wrong are still the same not focusing on the cost so let's let's talk about the fundamentals because because you're an expert in that area so give us a, a, a little bit more of examples from uh people that you've worked with uh the types of business businesses they've had yeah so if we if we look at um so one of the, our recent ones has been with a global uh, consultancy firm and they've noticed very quickly that they are seeing a rapid shift within their customer base so they are basically built on i if i put if i attach somebody to this project i will bill you for the number of hours they work on that project so the time and materials model um, which again a lot of consultancies do however in the world of the digital age you're now seeing the need for more tech first solutions, more data driven solutions, mm -hmm. would actually mean um, you can't charge. You know, what took somebody, for example, you know, they, they do a lot of work around architecture. You know, what some what an architecture architect can take two and a half months to do, you know, a piece of AI software can do in 20 seconds. And so their fundamental business models being being is being challenged. So how do you help them? understand that they've got this business which is their core but they need to start running experiments and start testing new services that are bringing in different capabilities but also different economics and business models and there's this bit of a fallacy that they they always believe it's a binary choice which is either or and it's not you've got to be doing this again as steve blank talks about searching whilst executing and it's the same thing you know you've got to be able to allow the organization to execute on the profitable parts of the business 
but reinvest some of those profits to be able to experiment with new business models. And so that's what we work with them to is how do you identify where are those areas where you're going to find those new customers and those services to help evolve your business model? And then how do you build that capability, whether that's using your internal talent, whether that's working with startups who are already solving these challenges in the market that you can partner with, or sometimes you can actually you know, bring in an experienced entrepreneurial team and actually help build it yourself. Yeah. So one of the things that we wanted to talk about is, you know, with these epic shifts in the, in the market, and, and as you said, the current economic environment we're in, um, you, and, you and I are much more seasoned in business than maybe some of our listeners. And, and we've talked about, you know, weathering some of the past uh, major global crises and economic blips in, in, in any country that you live in. Um, this, this particular, um, we need a much more massive word than blip, is affecting all countries everywhere. And we, we've talked about, you know, there are a lot of people, even in the corporate side, they're entrepreneurs within their companies. And now they're going to be faced in a new phase where they need to be entrepreneurs. They need to work for their economic livelihood. And I know you're passionate about, you know, how do we help people who need this pathway now to make these, these changes in their, their lives? Um, any, any recommendations or, or thoughts for people that fit into that category? Yeah. So I mean, to pick up onto your point, I think this is, you know, we've lived through quite a few kind of downturns. Um, I think the thing that's caught me up by, by, just every day I, I look at the news and just it's just the size and the speed that this has happened with. And you know, normally when we've seen the last ones, it's hit certain industries first and then it has ripple waves, but it's done over time. But you can almost forecast when that bounce will come back. What we're seeing now is I call it this perfect economic storm where we're now starting to see kind of huge redundancies as large companies have had pressure put onto their um, cash flow because of the exact reasons that we talked about earlier that customer needs have shifted so what I was able to do and be able to do really well for the last 20 years I can't now do and overnight my my business has gone we, we were talking to Marriott and they said you know within three weeks and in, in early from March to April nearly 95% of their revenue dried up so how do you how do you kind of come come back from that um, and so what and so what we see then is is this seismic shifts means that one of the most Unfortunately, brutal levers that companies will then pull is the reduction of workforce, which means we're now seeing huge mass redundancies hitting the market, but there's no jobs for them to go into. Um, and therefore, trying to provide outplacement support to help people prepare for a next job where there's no jobs to go into feels like it's, it's fundamentally, we need to be able to think about different alternatives. And I think what's really exciting for me, is, as we touched on earlier, is, is because what this does, it reconfigures what the customer needs are, where there are opportunities. Actually, there's a great opportunity for those who have got that passion and that willingness to want to start their own business. Now's a great time to actually start something. Um, and I know, interestingly, kind of from my own experience, I was made redundant um, back in 2013. Uh, and in the market was recovering from, from the crash, but you know, it's quite buoyant. But I used, I was given the opportunity to do this outplacement, which was, uh, I think three 90 minute interviews where I got told how to write a CV, how to write a cover letter. <laughs> maybe I should go into this thing called LinkedIn because it could be quite good for networking. Um, don't we all desire, I think we all desire to live in a world where we don't have to write a CV anymore. Oh God, yeah. 
but but in essence, my company was paying a significant amount of money. So um, so I think they were paying around six thousand sterling for that for that service. And from one of it, I got very little value. But out the back of that, actually, what I wanted to do was I always had this passion to start my own, do something by myself. And that came up. I built Startup Republic, which was helping students build startups or studying in university on the back of that. Um, but again, I made so many mistakes because there wasn't the access to the support or the mentoring or the training and the coaching that I would have, would have made me not make so many fundamental mistakes on that journey. And so I think where we're up to now is, is seeing the size of the exit, seeing the size of people becoming made redundant. Um, there is a large percentage now who want to, who, who, who kind of say they want to use this opportunity to start their own business, but there's really still limited program support out there for them to be able to do it successfully, or at least be able to have uh, access this, this process or access the skills and the mindset to be able to test those ideas. Um, and, and if, and if they don't work, at least they're building sort of new skills. So it's why, um, it's why we've been looking at how do we help taking what we've learned from the work that we've done in building our own ventures, but also working with helping early stage founders accelerate, bringing that knowledge and that experience, which is, to be honest with you, we've been, we've been holding it quite close to our chest. So when we run our accelerator programs, we might have 3,000 people apply, but we only select the top 10. Well, what happens to the other 2,990? So this is like, how do we democratize this entrepreneurship skills to help literally solve some of these planet-sized challenges and and the benefit to that is giving people more control over their own destiny but also helping drive local economic growth and and drive new job creation chris you know i i as i'm listening to you i'm i'm i have the the benefit of thinking about i'm now um over three years of of doing these these interviews and and have you know, a hundred in, in the bank. And there's a big um, gap between the knowledge and the approach of how young entrepreneurs start their businesses. And, and you know, and I think some of the category you're talking about, about people who um, were in a corporate life and could have been um, entrepreneurs within that, and they get out and I think they feel sometimes that options are limited. Like, well, I guess I'm a consultant now. And, you know, and we can't have a workforce that's, you know, 30% consultants. You know, people need to um, be innovative, be creative, and know how to um, really search for a business opportunity. Um, I was just reading uh, again the beginning of um, That Will Never Work, uh, the story of um, Netflix yeah. and and the, the story of how um, Mark Randolph was in the car and he kept throwing out ideas, like idea after idea after idea getting shot down. And I think that's that's something that we we talk about is sometimes entrepreneurs can fall in love with their own idea too quickly. Um, and and not know how to pivot and 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 adapt, but also um, how to, as as you've said, put themselves around the the right people that aren't their family and friends. Because let's be honest, most people's family and friends have not built a business from scratch. And unfortunately, they like you too much to to be to tell you the cold hard truth. Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. 
And I think this is this is why this is this is really important. But I think there's two things there is is the realization that um, the chance of that any idea that you've got, it's probably not going to be the idea that if you go and build something, it'd be the idea that you're doing. So you need to be able to generate lots of these things. But then once yeah. once you've got those ideas, they, you, for me, it's about how do you. So I always believe you've got three most critical resources available to you: time, money, and energy. So you need to be able to understand where should I be deploying those resources to get the best return. So what I need is something which allows me to say, well, if I've got an idea, how do I test it quickly to make sure if I'm going to throw myself into this, that I'm throwing myself at the right idea. And which is why this thing comes back to kind of custom need very quickly. You, know, you don't need to do a, you shouldn't be doing surveys. You shouldn't be doing anything like that. Once you've got an idea, go and find 10 people, 10 to 15 people who who you're targeting with that idea and talk to them. Don't pitch them your idea. Talk to them about what their current challenge is. How are they currently solving some of the stuff you're looking to solve? Are they spending money on it? How many of those type of people are there? And that gives you immediately, before you've even started, an idea of how, is it a big enough pain point that they're actually spending either their own time, their own money, their own energy in trying to solve? So you can quantify what that looks like, but also you can then think about well how many of those people exist in this in this in this market that i could potentially reach and are those is that enough to make my ambition for what i want to do for my business viable and that doesn't necessarily mean to be the next unicorn it could be my own my own kind of small family business that i just want to run and, and serve my local community that's great but you've still got to have this idea that are there enough people who will come back and be paying enough money for me to build that now that can be done in a matter of weeks, not years, not no, weeks. And that gives you that data that says, actually there's something here or great, I've learned a ton, but this isn't the right idea. So I go again. So it's just, it's just constantly. And if you talk to many entrepreneurs, you know, they, there's this great piece of work, which uh, research that says, I think the average age for a successful entrepreneur is 45. That's good. There's hope for a lot of people. <laughs> And this is and this is and this is why it's really exciting because you know people believe the that I call it sometimes the Silicon Valley myth that you know you've got to drop out of college you've got to be young something it's got to be kind of a tech first business that's utter rubbish those who are coming out of organisations now have something they have they have great grounding around processes so they know probably how hopefully they know how to do a PNL they know how to do project management there are some really critical skills that you start you see lacking in some of these kind of younger startups that these group of people will have. Now, if you can help them equip them to give them the confidence to take their ideas and go through a process, actually, you've got, for me, you've got this really interesting mix between super technical talents, great understanding some sort of kind of core management processes with an idea. You could be, you know, it, it, for me, it feels like this is a real, the, the good conditions to be able to build some very exciting new ventures. You know, Chris, I'm, I, as I'm, I'm, I have the benefit of seeing you as we're having this conversation and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I think of, you know, what you said, you've talked about startup and we, we get to that stage of scale up and too often people think of scale up as I've got to hire more people or I need to get more in the production line and scale up is actually, I think of it as like those three dimensional chess boards. Yes. And as your company grows, you need to go go down because at that foundation, like you said, at what point you have to in, get all of those processes and then that layer underneath it is your solid governance. Because mm -hmm. we talk about a lot of companies and entrepreneurs as they build their companies, 
they skip some of those true governance stages. And I know governance is so not a sexy topic when you talk uh, about business and entrepreneurship, but it's your governance that's going to get you structured if you want to sell your company or if you want to really have really good VCs come in and take a look at everything. Yeah. Um, you got to get down to that that level quickly. And, and that might be why um, what you're saying is, is that these entrepreneurs, and, and this is good news for corporates that need to be on this pathway to invent their next phase of business is that you know, you are equipped because you have this life experience that you can apply and you know, you know, some of what it takes. You just need, as you said, that, that group, that, that entrepreneurial accelerator group to help you come up with that, that business idea that's sustainable. Yeah. And actually what's really, so we, one of the, um, the approaches that we, well, one of the companies who've done this really well in the past was Nokia. So Nokia went through a big transformation back in the um, early 2010s and they let uh, a significant amount of, of people go. I think it was uh, out of the 40,000 workforce, they made 18,000 people redundant, but they offered this bridge program. And one of the pathways was to, to build your own business. And what was fascinating in there was they actually said, Look, as a company, we have to make the reduction so we can't keep you on payroll. However, in order to kind of help facilitate you on this, we understand you're going into the market. You understand the challenges that we need to solve. So if you want to go, if you want to take, we've got a whole lot of um, unused IP, patents, technology that you can use royalty-free in perpetuity um, to go and build new commercial models on. So go off and go and go and build things that can help solve industry challenges. So out of that a thousand, so out of that program, a thousand new companies, they they actually launched a thousand new startups, of which I think kind of a third of them went off to do launch their own um, freelance career. A third went and did what I call lifestyle business. So for example, one went off and launched their own, started their own Christmas tree plantation. But a third were actually um, what I call tech first startups. And what actually happened was within uh, kind of 12 to 18 months of them going through the program, nearly 20% of those had entered commercial agreements in Nokia because they were solving challenges that Nokia couldn't solve internally because of all the big yeah. corporate experience. So if companies get this right, there's a way they can actually use that departing talent to actually drive faster innovation for them in the long term. So it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting way that, that you can actually, this, this way doesn't need to be necessary now, like, oh, well, thanks very much, you know, you're, you're gone, goodbye. If you actually really kind of cultivate this group of talent that's exiting, they can actually drive, deliver huge benefits later on um, with your support back into the company, but also back into the industry as well. So Chris, we're, I'm watching our clock and our time. I do, I would like you to share with us a little bit, a lot of the entrepreneurs I talked to today have a, a social good aspect to what they're doing. Um, some entrepreneurs that I, I've talked with, I think of Alisa Tillet, um, her social good is actually helping uh, Japanese tea farmers and everybody own their section of the supply chain. And so that was a very interesting model of social good. I've talked to others that their social good is by putting factories in parts of the world that, that need the work. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about um, Rainmaking's SDG Compass program? 
Yes, so uh, again, very similar. You have to be blind not to notice the not only just the economic challenges, but also the challenges around the climate that we're facing. Um, and I think what we're now seeing is, is in terms of companies trying to solve them for the future, it's there's just going to be a mixture of both startups kind of trying to solve that and and corporate solving it as well. So recognizing this, and particularly because our heritage in rainmaking is from the Nordics, which have a very strong um, sustainability agenda, we start seeing this kind of growth area come in. So really, uh, and with the corporates that we're talking to, the ESG agenda and the sustainability agenda is becoming increasingly important. So someone like IKEA um, that we work with, one of the things we, we were doing with them last year, which was they said, we want to find within our restaurants, which sort of crazy fact, IKEA is, is just in its restaurants alone, is a, by, by size is the seventh largest restaurant chain in the world. So they were saying we want to become more sustainable. Um, so we worked with them to actually help identify startups who were focused on building sustainable packages and sustainable supply chains around food to actually bring them into work with IKEA to help drive that agenda. And that's what we're seeing more and more increasingly now. And so what the Compass was there to do is to say, we want to start identifying like the startup ecosystem of, of, of companies that are trying to solve these challenges against each of those goals. And then with the companies that we work with, be able to start providing that matching service that says, we know you're trying to find what, how you're going to reinvent sort of packaging or how do you redevelop um, recycle, the circular economy and be able to help match by understanding kind of the startup ecosystem and start to play the matchmaker between the two. Um, so that's where the, the, the focus has become. But yeah, absolutely, it's, it's, I can't think of a, of a recent pitch that I've seen which doesn't have some element of sustainability or an alignment to an SDG goal without financial inclusion to clean renewable energy to sustainable production. Chris, thank you so much. There, there's just, there's so many more topics we could speak with you about. Um, Rainmaking is a fabulous organization. Um, what you're doing in the world is, is so needed. And we're just grateful that you chose to be a guest on Disruptive CEO Nation. So if our listeners would like to find out more or connect with you or Rainmaking, um, tell them where they can go. Fantastic. Well, uh, first of all, Addison, thank you so much. It's been a huge joy and honor to be to be on the show um, and, and talking to you. For those who want to find out more, um, please feel free to uh, reach out to me. Uh, my email is chris at rainmaking.io. Otherwise, you can find us at www.rainmaking.io. Thank you so much, Chris. Um, for our listeners, thank you for being with us. If you know of a innovative, disruptive CEO, company founder that we should speak with, um, send me a note at connect at allisonksummers.com. Until then, keep your eye on the future. And thank you so much, Chris. Thanks, so. Take care. Have a great day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.